Welcome to Four Reasons with Elizabeth Bennett, a podcast that was created for four reasons. One, to share the tool of the Enneagram through a biblical worldview. Two, to share my own thoughts, feelings, and discoveries about the world as I encounter it as an Enneagram 4. Three, to help you encounter Jesus in a transformational way. And four, to encourage you towards understanding yourself and those around you. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me here on Four Reasons. My name is Elizabeth Bennett, and I am an Enneagram coach, author, as well as the founder of Enneagram Life. But today, what I am most importantly is a mom. As we talk about the controversy and all the logistics around typing children, which you might not be aware of this, but typing children in the Enneagram world, I mean, amongst Enneagram teachers, is kind of a controversial topic. We are well aware that people use the Enneagram to type children and that they use it in beneficial ways. But when we're looking at the Enneagram as a whole and at teaching the Enneagram to a vast crowd, almost every Enneagram teacher will tell you that typing children is not a good idea. And I am definitely one of those Enneagram teachers that feels this way, especially when people will comment on my posts on Enneagram Life things about um, their child being a certain type. Um, Usually they're just saying it very lightly and fun, and a lot of times I will end up replying to their comment and trying to correct they're thinking around typing children, not because I think that that person individually is using it wrong, but because even their comment is inviting people to the thought of typing children. And so I want my response to be out there so that if anyone else stumbles upon this comment, that they have all the information of the idea of typing children, and then what Enneagram teachers say about it. So I really do understand why typing children is such a draw and why people defend themselves so much when I talk to them about not typing children when that's currently what they're doing. And a huge part of this is because we love our children and we want to understand them. And I think in some ways we know we don't understand them or that our children are very different than us. And so when we read Enneagram type profiles, it's extremely common to recognize one of your kids and to have a light bulb moment of like, oh my gosh, this is why they are different than me. And oh my, this is this is how they're operating. This is how they're thinking. And this is what they're struggling with. And in so many ways that can give you so much more grace for your child and so much more empathy towards Towards them, and it can give you ways to communicate with them that you might not have otherwise had. So I definitely understand that there is a huge draw towards typing your children and that in some ways it can bring about good things. Typing children isn't just a blanket, no, never do it. I do think there are some situations that it can be helpful. Suzanne Stabile is who I have heard the most on from this topic, a couple interviews that she has done. And although she definitely does not recommend typing children, she has definitely used the Enneagram to help parents of adoptive children to better understand their children and to kind of bridge the gap of communication and of grace and of empathy there. And I do think that in some ways that can be a really, really good use of this. But today, I really do want to talk about kind of more of the grand scheme of things of why when I'm talking to people, I'm going to tell them not to type their children and why I correct comments and why I believe so strongly about this. 
First of all, I feel like it's only fair that you know that I have two children. Um, One of them is a two-year-old and one of them is currently in utero. But I want you to know that I, I am a mom. I do have a mom's heart and I'm not here to judge anything that you're doing with your children. I am just here to give you some thoughts to ponder on this topic in general, hopefully in a very non-judgmental way. Hopefully that is what you get from this. And I also want to explain though, that even though I have this young son and I've had people ask me like, what Enneagram type do you think he could be? It's not even something I have considered at all. I'm not looking at him trying to see type tendencies or anything like that because he's two. And most of his personality right now in a lot of ways is he is two and he is going to grow and change. And I want to be endlessly curious about him instead of trying to figure him out now in a way that I won't have to be as curious about him later. So what is the first reason why I do not recommend typing children? The first reason is labeling your kids or putting them in a box can be hurtful and damaging. And I know most of us as parents, this is definitely not what we feel like we're doing by telling our child that they're a certain Enneagram type or referring to our child as a certain Enneagram type. We actually feel like we're giving them a lot of freedom within this type to understand themselves and have us understand them. It definitely doesn't feel like we're labeling them with something bad like it would if you labeled your child as let's say, hyperactive or super sensitive or dramatic or cold or distant or things like that. If you can think back to your own childhood, there probably are a couple of labels or words that were used around you that caused insecurity and hurt. And I just want to bring up the possibility here that a child hearing an Enneagram type could do the same damage as those words that I mentioned and as the words did that labeled you and that you carried. And there's a couple of reasons. First of all, even good labels are limiting the people that were told that they were pretty and smart, it always felt like those were something that was a weight that they carried that was limiting because they had to keep it up. The child that was told that they were very beautiful and very pretty and were a very pretty person, well, everyone goes through an awkward like 12 to 14 stage, and that can almost wreck their entire identity when what they are and what they've been told that they are is very beautiful. You also might be labeling one child beautiful and one child very smart. And then that brings me to my next point, which is that labels cause comparison. And so no matter if the label is good, you might still not have that other good label that a sibling has or that a classmate has. And it invites comparison. And no matter how good the label that your child owns is, they still are comparing what they are to other people, wanting those other things. And children just in general, are just super hungry to learn who they are. So they are soaking up the words that you are saying about them. They're soaking up what they are learning from their environment and how people interact with them. And they are soaking up the things that they are discovering about themselves. And so when you give them tools in the form of words to explain who they are and how other people perceive them, children hold on to those words and those concepts like nothing else even though that might not be how you meant it, that is usually how children perceive it. 
So we need to be really careful with the words that we use around children and to explain to children who they are and how other people perceive them because we don't necessarily want these adjectives to become their identity because your child is not only beautiful or only smart or only kind of hyperactive or only sensitive. They are multifaceted and that's why putting them under labels or into boxes can be damaging because these children will then limit themselves by the labels that they receive. And how this interacts with the Enneagram is that even though you could say that your child is most definitely an eight and you are looking at that description as someone who could be almost anything but might have these certain couple qualities that your child seems to be really strong in, no matter how much you try to explain that to a child, they will probably latch on to a couple of words that you're using, like aggressive and protective and maybe controlling and maybe loud and maybe assertive or like there's certain words that they could be grasping onto. And even though you do not mean those words in any negative form, you cannot guarantee that your child will not take those words in negative ways or hear those words in negative ways from other people. Or even as they are getting older and they are interacting with the Enneagram themselves, they could be looking at this and being like, wow, my mom thought that I had a problem with denial and that I was super angry. Like they could be reading the unhealthy eight description and could think that that's what you thought of them. And I know that we all hope that if our child had a thought like that, that they would come to us and be like, hey, mom, did you mean this? And we could clear it up. But how often have you done that with your parents? I know I haven't really with my own parents, especially in adolescence, when you are really hungry for information about yourself. If you've been told something about yourself, you're definitely going to want to look into it. And sometimes your understanding is not that mature yet to be able to assume that your parents meant the better parts of this Enneagram number and not the negative ones. And because the Enneagram is so big right now, we really don't know many people that grew up hearing what their Enneagram number was and how it impacted them later. And if anything, that should give us some pause from typing our own children and should just cause us to look at this as something that needs to be done carefully and that needs to be done with the utmost of respect and needs to be explained to children over and over and over again if it is something that you're going to use because you cannot control how they are going to limit themselves by that definition and how they're going to compare themselves by that definition. Especially if you have multiple children telling one child like, oh, you're definitely a five and the other child, oh, you're definitely a one. No matter how positively you meant those things and how much you're like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I understand my children and they're so different, but so beautiful and so wonderful in the same way. If you are a two wing one, maybe your five child is being like, oh, well, they identify a lot more with my older sibling and they see themselves a lot more in my older siblings and they don't identify with me at all. And they struggle with me and they struggle to understand me but they like and or understand my older sibling more. It's so hard when you're introducing this to young children because you really cannot control how they take this and how they understand it. So you're just giving them information about themselves that is helpful to you in some ways, but might be really damaging and limiting and at the worst, extremely hurtful to them later on or even in the present moment. 
And I want to also encourage you that even if you are not telling your child, oh, you are definitely a type four. I know people that don't say that to their children, but they do post like that on social media. And your child will be able to find those posts. If you could imagine if your parents posted about almost your entire life, childhood online, and then you got to a certain age that you could access that, oh, you are going to every post that you are in and that there's a picture of you. And you just need to be mindful that your child will most likely eventually read what you say about them. And so we need to be careful online, especially, because even if you go back and delete stuff, I think it's been pretty proven that nothing can be completely wiped from the internet once you push submit. And we just need to be really, really careful with that because we actually don't really know what that does to children because that is not something that has been able to happen or be accessed before. So we need to be careful even if we are telling other people what type we think our children are or even if we're posting about it online, those things are probably going to get brought back to your child. And then if they discover it or stumble upon something you said, you are not there to actually explain to them what you meant by that. So they might just see, oh, Enneagram type four, and then they go look it up and their mind and their imagination goes straight to those super unhealthy profiles and descriptions of that type, and they can become really hurt by that. So I just want you to be super aware and careful in that because we have a responsibility here to steward our children. They are not ours. They are God's and to be gentle with their spirits and to be loving and respectful of the adult that they are turning into even as they are a young child. So my point here is that we need to be really careful with our words around our children, especially descriptive words about who they are because children are very hungry to know who they are. And so instead of telling your child that you think that they are a type four, I would encourage you actually to use the lost childhood messages especially for the type that you think your child might be. But really, this is an opportunity when you're learning about the Enneagram to use all nine of the lost childhood messages. And just as a reminder, what those lost childhood messages are, you are good, you are wanted, you are loved for who you are, you are seen for who you are, your needs are not a problem, you are safe here, you will be taken care of, you will not be betrayed by God, and your presence matters. And if you want to see that laid out type by type, we have a series on Enneagram Life. If you give a good couple of scrolls down, that you'll be able to find that series. Okay, so my second point with why I do not recommend typing children is that children change. And I know that that sounds like a cliche. You know that children change. You have experienced that your children change. But maybe your child is five or six years old and you're like, oh, no, no, no. But they have showed type tendencies of this one type since they were in utero. Like, this is extremely constant in their life. And I would just recommend to you that we stay very curious about our children, especially as they grow up, and that we don't limit them even to what their behavior has been up until this point. Because a lot changes 
with kids, especially between the years of like that 10 to 14. That is only four years, but those years make a huge difference and children can change a lot. And there's a lot of reasons for this. And maybe if you think back to your own childhood, you can see this shift of all sudden feeling like your parents didn't understand you or assumed things about you that weren't true anymore. And you were almost having to like educate your parents on who you were. And I have to tell you that that is going to happen with your children too. No matter how diligent you are about wanting to know them and thinking that how well you do know them, there is going to come a point where you're going to have to relearn your kids. And that is in a lot of ways a really scary thing and also a really cool thing because your children are not you and your children are not going to be the way they are as a child forever. And so we need to be endlessly curious about our children and not assuming that how they are right now, even at three, six, eight years old, is how they are going to be in a couple of years. You might have a child that is showing type one tendencies all over the place, has been this way their entire life. All of a sudden they turn 12 and you're like, wait a minute, are you a six? Are you are you a seven? Like what, what is happening here? You, you are changing so much is happening. And there's so many different reasons for this. There can be a wing flip where your child could go from one wing to another, and they might've lived mostly out of their wing, behaviorally speaking, for the good first portion of their life. So they could be a two with a one wing and shown a ton of one tendencies very early on. And then all of a sudden, as they get older, they're going to two with a three wing and you're seeing two and three tendencies all of a sudden and less one tendencies. And that can be super confusing. Or or there are subtypes where your child might have been a self-preservation subtype earlier on in their life, which can make them look more like a six because self-preservation subtypes are motivated by security and sixes are motivated by security. So that can make them look a lot like a six, but they might actually be a one that's self-preservation. Or your child could be living out of their stress or security number during childhood. A one might be living more out of their security or growth number seven during childhood because they don't have much to worry about and they feel really secure, which is a great thing. But this can make a one appear a lot like a seven. Or there might be a lot of stress in their childhood. Not that necessarily you are putting stress on them, but just stressful situations. Grandparents dying, maybe there was a divorce, maybe they had pets that died, maybe they have a sibling with um, disabilities or a traumatic injury happens or something, you can't necessarily control these things. And this can make children live out of their stress number during their childhood. So an Enneagram type one would be living out of the stress number of Enneagram type four, which can look a lot different than how they probably will present as they even out and or go to growth when they become teenagers or adults. And so these can make them look very, very different. I just have to use the example of myself as well, because I really do think if my parents had access to the Enneagram when I was really small, they probably would have thought I was an eight. And I am 100% most definitely a type four. And I am not exactly sure what is to blame for my type tendencies as a child. Maybe it was I had a stronger wing three. Maybe it was because I was more of a one-to-one -one subtype when I was younger. But no matter what, I know that my parents really struggled with 
my changes once I kind of hit that adolescence. And then once I really came into my own in adulthood, that 16 to 18 years old, my mom will always pinpoint a couple of times or moments that she felt like I really changed. And I don't really feel that way. I feel like I was just almost more settling into who I was instead of imitating others or doing things that I thought was going to make other people more comfortable or more accepting of me. I was actually behaving like me. And so I didn't even think to like tell my parents, oh, by the way, this is who I am and this is what I like or what I'm like. You only can see the world from your point of view and the way you process things. So you automatically assume kind of other people do too. And it doesn't really occur to you, especially in adolescence and childhood, that you need to explain yourself as much as it becomes very evident as an adult when people are obviously very, very different or don't understand you. And obviously the Enneagram gives us great language to be able to explain ourselves to other people and understand the people around us. So when we're talking about ages and typing kids and how kids change, I really do not think that we should be putting any sort of a label or a firm Enneagram type stamping on a child until they're at least 12 to 15 years old just because of those huge changes that occur. And once a child is 14, 15, usually they can participate with you in the process of typing, and we'll get more to that later. But I just want you to anticipate that your child is going to change no matter how firm in their personality they seem now as a five, six, seven-year-old even, this child is going to change. And I think I just want to encourage you in this even that you don't need to feel bad for needing to learn your child or needing to learn about your child. I heard The Brave Writer, which is a podcast as well as a book, the woman who does that, she was talking about in one of her podcasts about how nonverbal communication tends to feel like the ultimate kind of love. And a lot of this has to do with um, infants, with that bond between a mom and a really young baby. The baby doesn't need to tell you what they need or tell you about them. They have these nonverbal cues, um, which can include crying, screaming. So it doesn't seem as nonverbal, but it is to have you anticipate or know their needs and then you fulfill their needs. And it's all this nonverbal connection and it's very precious and it's very, very strong. And for some reason, we kind of put that up as like the highest height of connection. And we, we want to keep that with our children. And we feel like we do have that connection with our child. So there is so many ways that you observe your child and you're looking for these nonverbal things and you just want to understand your child. And it really does lead us in a lot of ways to not ask questions about our child and to not be curious about our child and to assume a lot of things about our child. And I think as parents, we need to be curious and we need to not assume and we need to not think that we are doing poorly as parents or we are not connected to our child if we have to ask questions. Because I feel like all of us as parents need to do better at asking questions 
and asking our child what they like or how they think about themselves. And there are some great, great prompts for this on that Brave Writer podcast, but I think she talks about watching movies or reading books and then asking your child, who, who which character in this movie do you think you're most like? Don't ask your child like favorite color or favorite food questions. Ask them questions about how they perceive themselves, because I feel like those questions really are some of the most enlightening ones, especially personality wise. You might be seeing behaviors and you might be seeing personality from your child, but what does your child see? And how are they seeing themselves? I feel like those are such cool conversations to have, even with very, very little kids. So yes, my point here is don't feel bad for needing to learn your child. This is actually a really cool part of parenting that doesn't need to make you feel like you're not connected to them or you should have known because you don't. This child is not you. This child is not something that came with a manual or instructions and we need to learn that. Okay, so point three kind of ties in with point two, but it's that you are most likely only going off of behaviors. So I don't know many little children who um, articulate their motivations very well. I don't know many adults who articulate their motivations very well, to be honest. I think a ton of this has to do with American culture. We are very behaviorally based. And so we can point out if someone is, oh, more extroverted or outgoing or shy and quiet. But those are behaviors. Those are not motivations. We're not talking about, oh, this person tends to shy away when they're in big crowds because they feel like if they talk, they might be judged and they want to feel competent. Like we don't think in those ways. And so in a lot of ways, our children are growing up in this culture where they are not being taught to speak in motivations. And also I kind of said about, we are all from our own vantage point. We kind of assume that everyone is operating off the same motivations and that our motivations are not different or weird from other people. They just might be causing other behaviors. And that's what we are fixated on is the other behaviors. Cause we kind of assume that everyone might have the same motivations. Like everyone wants to be loved, right? And everyone wants peace, right? And no one wants to be controlled. Like all of those things, they're kind of all assumptions that we have. But when we are looking at our children, especially through the lens of the Enneagram, the Enneagram is all about motivations. And so when we are looking at our children and they are acting different ways, or we are seeing personality and behaviors, it can be very easy to funnel those behaviors into boxes of personality without asking questions of why they behave certain ways. And some of that can be because your child might not be at an age where they can actually tell you why. And that should be a super good indication that there is no way that your child can be accurately Enneagram typed at the age that they're at. I feel like those two things need to kind of go hand in hand. If your child cannot articulate motivations, then they cannot be typed on a typology that is all about motivations. So you might be thinking or saying like, oh, but you you don't understand. My child's behaviors, you read a profile of this type and it is my child. It, this is their name should be in this thing. But profiles about types are usually only about behaviors, or even if they're talking about motivations, you're assuming that your child has that motivation because of the behavior. And so it's just a really muddy thing because really any Enneagram type 
it wouldn't be completely out of the realm of possibility for almost any Enneagram type to have any behavior. And I don't think that that's something that's taught or articulated very well by Enneagram coaches because we're trying to make things as simple as possible because we want people to be able to use the Enneagram and for it to be practical. But the farther you dig into the Enneagram, the more you see how these motivations really could play out almost any way. Yes, there's going to be a couple behaviors that are going to be most likely for certain motivations, or most motivations are going to act out in this certain way, or those kind of things. But really, we're talking about nine different levels of help. We're talking about three subtypes. We're talking about two wings. And all of those things affect behavior so much that we can really not rule out almost any behavior from any type. So behaviors really are not the best way to go about Enneagram typing, which really makes it extremely difficult to accurately type children, which is why I don't think even parents who are with children all the time are necessarily accurately typing their children. There's just not enough information there. You don't have a person's entire life to be able to look at their stress and growth arcs, and you don't have a person with the ability to articulate their motivations. So really, that is not good ground for any sort of Enneagram typing. Okay, and my fourth point is this. If you type your child, you are robbing your child of the chance to type themselves. And I know that this is kind of a heavy one, and it's not your intention, it's not what you think that you're doing, but most likely you were given the opportunity to type yourself and to kind of have that journey on your own, or if you didn't, how did someone else typing you or telling you you were a certain type, how does that make you feel? And how did that go over? And what did you assume about yourself going into looking at the Enneagram? Or maybe did you mistype at the beginning because someone told you what type they thought you were and that's actually not what you are? In the same way as an adult coming up to another adult and saying, oh, you're definitely an Enneagram one, it really is the same when a parent tells a child what Enneagram number they think they are, or they're working off the assumption that a child is a certain Enneagram type because you are robbing them of that journey that a ton of other growth and realizations can come out of, and also giving them the chance for God to really ready their heart to have that journey, because there are some hard things to learn about yourself, especially with talking about the Enneagram, talking about the worst of you, and talking about your deadly sin, and your deepest vulnerabilities, and pains, and wounds. Those are deep, hard things. And I really do believe that it is only God that can ready your heart to actually absorb those things and to work through them in a way that prompts growth. And so if a child is not even curious about who they are because they've been told, or they basically have been told all the parts of what being that Enneagram type entails, and it is what they are, like they're still not going to have those realizations for themselves and be able to kind of work through that process. And even if it's it's not damaging to them, it's still sad that they didn't get to do that on their own. So when we are thinking about our children, we are thinking about their type tendencies and how they appear to us, we need to look at them with a much wider lens of the thought that your child will eventually be able to tell you what Enneagram number they are. 
And yes, that might take a while. Your child might not be even interested in what the Enneagram is. I'm sure you you have a spouse, you have a sibling, you have someone in your life that's not interested in the Enneagram at all. That might end up being your child. They might not be interested in the Enneagram at all. But most likely, some of your children will grow up, be interested in the Enneagram, and they will be able to tell you what type they are. And I, for one, that is really what I am hoping for for my children. I want to hold their typing loosely enough that they will be able to go on this journey themselves and be able to come back and tell me what they think they are. And me, even being an Enneagram coach, even knowing as much as I know, I I kind of want to be surprised and intrigued by what they find. I don't want to assume that I knew my child so well that I knew this facet of them so deeply that I could tell them what income type that they are. And I'm guessing that I probably most likely will have suspicions, but I also don't want to be, have this like devastating identity crisis if my child comes to me and I thought that they were a four because I resonate with them so much and I'm a four. And if they come back to me and they say, mom, I actually think I'm an eight. I don't want that to be like an identity crisis on my part or for me to have an identity crisis for them. I want to have held that typing loosely enough that no matter what they tell me they are, I'm like, wow, I can see that. Tell me, what is it about this type that you're resonating with? What about this type do you not resonate with? Like, I want to be really, really curious. And I'm hoping that after listening to all of this that I've said, that that can really be your goal for your children as well, is to be endlessly curious about them, to ask so many questions, and to really get a thrill out of the thought of your child being able to tell you what Enneagram number they are instead of the other way around. And and then you can go into your adult child parent life with that child, being able to use this language to articulate to each other where you guys are missing each other because of your points of view. And you can help your adult child learn and grow in the knowledge of who they are and who God made them to be and to grow in Christ as an adult. And I think that that is just such a cool thing. And that really should be all of our goals. Even if it brings us some peace to feel like we know our child right now enough that we could Enneagram type them. I just want you to consider that this is a long-term road and that your child is only a child for 12 years. And they probably are only going to be in your house for like 18 years. And then you are going to have another like 50 years maybe of relationship with this child where they can be an active participant in their own Enneagram typing and in telling you what that means to them. And so you have time You don't need to settle for the false comfort of knowing what your child's Enneagram type is right now. You can look at your child with a much wider lens that will give you so much more curiosity for who they are and what they could eventually teach you about themselves and about the world and about you even. And I think that that is such a cool thing. And so I really hope that from learning all this, that really does sound like a really cool thing to you as well. So thank you so much for joining me today and listening to me rant about one of my 
favorite topics about the Enneagram, which is the Enneagram and children. If you have not listened to the other two episodes that we have come out on this podcast, they are How Did We Even Get Here, which is the story of like how we created this Enneagram page and how I became an Enneagram coach and author, as well as Why Don't We Use Enneagram Tests, which might be something that you've heard thrown out, but you don't exactly know why. Enneagram teachers don't recommend tests. So if you are curious in either of those things, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them as well as rate this podcast wherever you are listening. That is always super helpful. And we also have a Patreon account for this podcast where I go into the topic at hand a little more deeply weekly. So I will have four mini podcasts about this topic in general, especially on what holding your child's typing loosely kind of looks like practically. And those are all going to be for my Patreon supporters. And so you can go to patreon.com slash for reasons and find that. And if you would like to support me in that way and hear a little bit more, I would be so glad to have you. So thank you so much for listening. And remember to be endlessly curious about those around you. As we end today, I will remind you of four things. You were worth the cross to Jesus. You don't need to have it all figured out. You were created for a purpose. And I, for one, am very grateful for you and your support. If you like today's podcast and want to follow me on Instagram, well, you have three options. You can follow me at Enneagram.life, which is my main Enneagram Everything page. You can follow me at author.elizabethbennett, where you can keep up with my everyday life as well as upcoming books. Or, if you're an Enneagram 4 like me, you can follow along in my All Fours community at fourish underscore and I know it. All the resources I mentioned today can be found in the show notes. And you can find out more about my coaching services at www.elizabethbennettenneagram.com.